Hello, everyone. Sorry, we're just a little bit late today. Um, I will be starting the music momentarily, but I'm not there yet. In the meantime, please feel free to join our Discord server. Um, we're still working on building that out, but we're pretty pretty regularly in it. Um, the invite link is in the comments. And I'm going to go ahead and pin that if I can. Why isn't it letting me? That's interesting. All right. Um, thank you for joining us. This is the current event stream for January 12th, 2023. This is our first official current event stream since, uh, since the new year uh, for our two-year anniversary we did a pilot of a late show we will be continuing that tomorrow at 11 p.m roughly um yeah As I already said, hello and welcome to the For We Are Many podcast for January 12th, 2023. Um, we have a few things to talk about tonight. Um, the housing situation is, I think, the first thing. Um, Missouri passed a, a, an absolutely atrocious um, law criminalizing homelessness. Um, and then, of course, Rhode Island cities have been following the example set by the state. Um, yeah, it's just uh, like a like a game of dominoes. I guess I could probably turn on my video, huh? It's just like a game of dominoes almost. Um, and, and how the whole thing has just been unfolding. Um, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, let me see. Let's let's get this started, I suppose. Um, always gonna remind you guys. Um, you know, our our Patreon is a way that you can support us. Um, any size donation at all helps. We pay for this out of pocket, um, both for the software to do the streams and, uh, you know, equipment, microphones, cameras, computers, etc. Every dollar literally helps. Um, and you can find that at patreon.com slash for we are many. Um, We will be having some more people join me tonight, um, but I was late, so therefore they are late. Um, you know how it goes. You know how it goes. Um, anyway, so we we just discussed the recent law in Missouri uh, that banned sleep uh, sleeping on city property, and then here in New England, more specifically Rhode Island. Individual cities are following the state's example. I don't remember every city that has um, evicted a homeless encampment since that situation happens happened. Um, but you know, uh, regardless, we will be talking about the ones that I was able to find information on. Almost forgot to turn my background music on back there. Um, so Missouri, hang on just a second, let me check the chat here and see. All right. Yeah. Nobody is, uh, hopped in yet. Um, anyway, this, uh, new Missouri law is already... Uh, receiving legal challenges, um, thankfully, not that that really amounts to much, but um, it, it outright bans homelessness. I mean, how can you even try to justify that, you know? Um, trying to see if I can get this video to play. But a lot of times these videos from the news places aren't great. Nope. Okay. All right. Um, so this this law is set Housing to go and by. homelessness. Oh. For now, the law goes into effect January 1st. Reporting from Missouri Capitol Bureau, I'm Emily Manley. So it jumped in at the end of it. That was weird. All right. Well, anyway, uh, fuck that video, I suppose. Um, the legislation now faces legal challenges and hopes of blocking the law. The Missourians who filed the lawsuit said that five exclusive surveillance video of thieves <laughs> said the provision makes it dangerous for people who are already struggling to find shelter. But the lawmaker behind the legislation said it wasn't intended to turn the homeless into criminals. When you're throwing people in jail and giving them fines for being homeless, that is exactly the intention of the law. And I don't care how much uh, Representative 
uh, Bruce DeGroote, uh, the Republican from Aliceville, Missouri, tries to say that's not the case. He said, quote, I don't think this bill or any bill is perfect. It's a step in the right direction. I do know that what we are doing isn't working. Um, this measure is part of House Bill 1606. The Republicans said this new law is a way to help people get off the street by putting them in jail is the part they're leaving out. Instead of using state and federal funds to build affordable housing under the law, municipalities must build temporary camps offering resources. I do not see that happening uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it outlaws street camping, but at the same time, the municipalities have to have a place for them to go. So it gets them off the street and into a safer area. They are screened. Jesus Christ. We got a means test, means test our homeless encampments, our state sanctioned sanctuary zones as they were in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but I'm not going to get off topic here. Um, they are screened for drug and alcohol abuse. They offered programs and hopefully they will get a hot meal and a place to get a shower along with having sanitary bathrooms. They are screened for drug and alcohol abuse. They're not given help for that. Just, oh, you're on drugs. We can't, uh, we can't, we can't let you into our sanctuary zone. Um, the law also requires these encampments to be patrolled by law enforcement to prevent violence. So we're going to put these homeless people into state-sanctioned state homeless encampments rather than the ones that they built organically. And these places have to be patrolled by law enforcement, which is just going to increase the criminalization of homelessness um, the housing first model just doesn't seem to work. We create these encampments instead. Hopefully by getting them into these programs, the vast majority of them aren't there forever. It's a temporary thing. So this law makes it illegal to sleep on state-owned land like under overpasses or bridges. Um, at first, a person would face a written warning. Then after that, he or, sure, he or she would face a $750 fine or a Class C misdemeanor. It's uh, 15 days in jail, I believe. Um, and no, Natalie, I don't think that they can pro uh, persecute the poor any worse. Um, and yes, Corbin, it all comes down to the class war. Um, the measure also allows, and this is fucked up in and of itself, the measure also allows the attorney general to sue local governments that don't enforce the law and could lead to further penalties of municipalities losing state and federal funds for housing and homelessness. Yeah. They're making it to where people will have to be in camps if they are homeless in order not to be potentially ticketed or taken to jail. Um, we're just trying to eliminate the bill before it even goes into play because once it does, it's going to be so destructive. That's an understatement. We're pushing these people using money that they obviously don't have into state sanctioned, um, 
homeless villages, basically. And um, then from there, they're over-policing those communities and criminalizing um, homelessness basically anywhere else. Um, yeah, basically. If you want my somewhat oversimplified take on this, if they can't extract people people's labor value through wage employment, then they're going to extract it through privatized jails and prisons. Um, there's also a provision in the law. It just gets more fucked up as I read. Holy shit! That prohibits cities and organizations from using state and federal grants to build permanent housing for the homeless. Instead, the money must be used to build temporary camps that would be monitored by police and social workers who would collect data on mental health and substance abuse. Uh, excellent point, Donnell. Prisons and jails that are already overrun as well because there is a profit-driven demand for prisoners. So these states, municipalities, etc., have a vested capital interest in keeping those jails full to the brim. Um, let's not forget that we're not out of the pandemic either. So, you know, like, are homeless encampments perfect about COVID spread? I guarantee they are not, but I guarantee that they are better than uh, the prison systems that have mishandled this pandemic since the first fucking case. Um, there's an increase in people that are experiencing homelessness and I've called shelter after shelter to find a place for them to sleep for the night and there is no place um, this is a nonprofit worker in Springfield, Missouri um, price, price of rent housing costs is really what I meant to say hi Austin the, the housing costs overall are so through the roof fucking everywhere that damn near nobody can afford housing. And that's why, you know, here in New England, uh, we're trying to put a really big focus on housing. Um... So... After the, <clears throat> excuse me, after the Cranston Street Armory opened in Providence, Rhode Island as a warming center, which it was supposed to be a full-blown homeless shelter, now it's a warming shelter. Um, that was used as a justification to evict the homeless encampment at the state capitol which was evicted days before the governor took his christmas card photo in front of the capitol um i'll probably show you a picture of that here in a minute but so not only did this uh armory this former national guard armory have um 50 beds instead of the 350 and it opened over a month later than it was supposed to. 
right? Um, now, the people that are willing to use the warming center are expressing sanitary and safety concerns. Um, I will play a video on that just in a second here. Um, don't be embarrassed about where you lived. I just lived in Arizona for almost five years. It's not great out there either. Austin, you're right. They want a hundred thousand or so for, for, for new single wide trailers these days. I would imagine that you're probably in some areas like here in New England, for example, paying that for, uh, a rundown trailer on a, on a tiny plot. Um, Anyway, let me get this screen share going. There are concerns at the Armory, and you're about to see why. I'm Dan Janik. And I'm Emily Bowles. Those using Cranston Street wow. Armory's warming station are complaining of sanitation and safety issues and why can't even I sharing some graphic screen? photos with us. Yeah, they are pretty graphic, so we blurred them, but we... There are concerns there at go. the Armory, and you're about to see why. I'm Dan Janik. And I'm Emily Bowles. Those using Cranston Street Armory's warming station are complaining of sanitation and safety issues and even sharing some graphic photos with us. Yeah, they are pretty graphic, so we blurred them. But before we go to the story, we want to warn you, they are disturbing. With that said, here's Kaldabowski. I'm at my ends over here. I just don't know what to do. Concerns at the Cranston Street Armory tonight. Several homeless residents utilizing the new warming center are speaking out about what they say are poor sanitary and safety conditions there. It's disgusting. The bathrooms are, are hideous. There's overdoses happening left and right here, and they're, they're just not, they're, they're just letting them come back the next day and not getting these people help. One person sending us these graphic photos of human waste spread across toilets. This photo, the same person claims, is of food sitting out for hours before being served. It's like the wild, wild west here. You best be ready to either fight in a second if you have to, dodge a needle, or hope you make dinner. Amos House runs the 24-7 site with the help of the Rhode Island National Guard. Organizers say it's overwhelmed with a capacity around 150 to 200 people coming in each day. This is not a shelter. This is not a residence. It's a warming center. It's a place for people to come in from the cold. And so we're not equipped um, to have people living here. Amos House is now asking its bathroom vendor to double the daily cleanings. Armory rules prohibit alcohol and drugs, but Amos House staff acknowledges it can slip through. When people come in, we do try and check their jackets, we check their bags, but we don't check anything else. We're not patting people down. We're not the police. We want people to feel welcome and like they can come in. The whole point is to prevent people from dying of hypothermia out on the street. We're really trying to be compassionate. Others using the Armory's resources say some of the people staying there have been part of the problem. They keep ruining it for people that are, you know, really trying to get the help. And NBC10 has also learned a new emergency shelter for couples and individuals has been set up at Hartford Avenue and will open at the end of this month. It'll have 40 beds. In Providence, Cal Domowski, NBC10 News died in a bicycling accident. My bad. I forgot to uh, turn my mic back on. <clears throat> um, actually, Austin, what I was just going to say, safer is to use drug, 
drugs needs to be a thing. And these uh, warming centers should be equipped with Narcan. Straight up. I mean, there is no reason that we are just letting people overdose and then go back out into the street. We're not getting them the medical care that they need. We're not getting them the uh, substance abuse treatment that they need. We are just pushing them back out into the cold. And uh, the organizer from Amos House pointed out that um, that uh, they are not equipped to be a homeless shelter. That's what it was originally supposed to be. It was supposed to have 350 permanent beds. Now it's got 50 and you can't just like come in and sleep there. You can, you know, crash out for a little while in the warm and then dip out. But the point is, is that the state has a ridiculous amount of money, specifically earmarked for helping the homeless. And the way it's being handled is completely disgraceful. Um, I mean, it's it's nonprofits um, preventing any real action from being taken. We need to be putting people in houses, not shelters, to start with. And then it's a warming shelter. And then that new couple shelter has 40 beds. What is that really going to do to the 500 people um, that are not in a homeless shelter? For that matter, what about people that are addicted to drugs and that they need fucking help? They need a safe space to use. They need a place to come in and get out of the warm or get, get out of the warm, get out of the cold, just like everybody else does. We need to stop dehumanizing these people. Um, anyway. Um, but yeah, the the conditions there are absolutely unacceptable. Um, and, and also just to, let me let me bring back the screen share for a second because I want to show you these beds that our gracious state was so kind as to uh, you know not let people even just claim one every day. Like, oh, you can come in and crash out till you wake back up and then get the fuck back out in the cold. Um, anyway, yeah, what do you guys, uh, about this? Austin said they're in need of help and the system only will help if they can make money off of them. That's a point I was trying to allude to. Thank you for putting it in better words. Um, Austin also went on to say the banks and corporations buy them up and just let the houses sit and rot. There is 16 empty homes to every homeless American. 16. Now, in Philadelphia, there is the Poor People's Army that is doing excellent housing work. They do workshops, they do trainings uh, to try to get other people doing the same things. I'm dropping their website in the comments. Um, so I'm going to read you their little statement here. I'm putting uh, the 
contact info in the comments as well, but I'm going to read you their statement here. We are a nonviolent army of poor and working people led by poor people fighting for our survival by any means necessary. For three decades, the Poor People's Economic Human Rights Campaign slash the Poor People's Army has been reclaiming the basic necessities of life with free food distribution and housing takeovers of abandoned properties. We believe this country has enough things for everyone to live well. It's just not shared fairly by rich people in power. I just want to interject how many billionaires or how many homeless families does it take to create a billionaire? Um, therefore, we fight to take power and control from the rich so that we can all or so that we can get all people what they need. We try to help anyone who comes to us. We center music, arts and culture and practice the politics of love. If you've been paying attention to the UPM classes, you'll know that they very much agree. They are both members of the Second Rainbow Coalition, actually, um, who are doing a uh, the New African Black Panther Party's uh, book reading group right now with uh, Walter Rodney's How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. Um, Obviously, I'm not saying, you know, switch this off and go over there. But I mean, if you want to check out that book and actually engage live, um, I'm not going to encourage you not to either. So that being said, it will be on their Facebook page later if you want to go back and uh, listen to it. But yeah, the way uh, the way that Chairman Zulu engages with these texts is phenomenal. Um, anyway. Our headquarters are in Philadelphia, and we have troops in many areas of the USA and work with international partners. We are part of a global movement fighting for the survival of humanity. Join us. Um, yeah, I dropped the link in the comments. Uh, you know, feel free to check them out, contact them, um, you know, start, start organizing in this housing fight. I mean, we're, we're all affected by it. Uh, back to the comments, Corbin, I've struggled with drug dependency my whole life. I wouldn't have been able to break free of it without a support system. Yes, exactly. And leftist spaces particularly, I think, need to serve as these support systems. Uh, that's what we're here for, serving the people. Um, and again, safe spaces to use, uh, accessibility to Narcan. These things are literally life and death situations for people who have drug dependency issues and dehumanizing them just sends them into a spiral. Uh, people need, back to your comment, people need to know they have a place to go and people that care, 100%. When you live on the streets, you are stuck in a survival mode. Your brain isn't even operating at its full capacity. That is so true. Like people will give uh, unhoused people shit for how they spend what little money they get but like you have to understand that you're kind of in fight or flight mode at that moment and you know like maybe buying a 40 is the best thing that you can do to numb the pain and if you don't understand that then you just need to not talk about it straight up don't be ignorant don't make an ass out of yourself listen when people say they need help to what they need help with don't try to go all paternalistic and say well this is what you need no you're not in the situation just shut the fuck up listen 
Um, food, water, shelter, and love are basic human needs. Until people have these needs met, they will not be living or operating at their full potential. Amen to that. Uh, this means we are depriving ourselves of the good they can do for the world. Yeah. So, you know, there's that, that old quote about like, okay, well, I'm less interested in the size and uh, makeup of Einstein's brain and more concerned with the fact that, you know, plenty of people with that potential may have, uh, you know, worked their entire lives in a field or in a factory or, or, or in a mine. Think about how many people with that kind of potential don't have any of that. They don't have their needs met. They're literally fucking unhoused. Um, completely agreed with this too, Austin. Mental health care is a must for the people. So many people get left behind because they can't get the help they need. That exp that extends outside of this mental health care. I mean, health care as a whole is something that a lot of people can't afford. Or... Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, some of them are probably get ar getting arrested in Missouri right now. Exactly. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, and then the city of Woonsocket, Rhode Island, is following the state's example. There, I think there was one in Cranston and one somewhere else, too. I wasn't able to... Uh, find specific articles about them um, and it's mostly Instagram stories I get a lot of my local updates from so they're gone is the point um, there should be a video of this right there's not wow the city of Woonsocket removed a homeless encampment from city property on Wednesday According to Department of Public Works Director Stephen D'Agostino, the city wanted to clean up an area on Truman Drive with fallen trees and limbs when they noticed the encampment. Individuals living there were notified weeks ago they had to leave by a specific date and were given information on homeless shelters. Listen to how out of touch this is. Quote, there's plenty of nonprofits in the city. They need to do a better job. Let that sink in. Ugh. Um, when the city cleared the encampment Wednesday morning, one or two individuals were on site, but up to five may have been living there. The same guy said there were hypodermic needles and debris in the area. This is a very common thing. Every situation like this in Rhode Island, they keep bringing up hypodermic needles, hypodermic needles, hypodermic needles. But they're, they're pinning the issues onto the nonprofits, right? Like, maybe the city could respond better to homelessness. Maybe the state could respond better to homelessness. Maybe there could be outreach and support programs for people addicted to drugs instead of dehumanizing them in the media over and over and over and over. And um, 
Austin, you're spot on again. They didn't care about the drug problem until it reached middle class families. They still don't do much unless you meet certain criteria. Exactly. Um, but homeless advocates are uh, speaking, you know, to the media. Um, and I mean, this is pretty softly worded, in my opinion, but uh, homeless advocates are warning against the dismantling of known encampments, arguing that it, that it only exacerbates the statewide housing crisis. Gee, you think? I mean, I believe that most of us were saying that when, uh, you know, the homeless encampment at the state house uh, was evicted. Actually, before I dive too deep into this, I need to show you that fucking picture. Um, let's see. Governor Dan McKee. I don't think that's the right page. I think that's his campaign page. Yeah, that's not the right page. Hold on. There we go. This is the right one. I just got to scroll back down. Oh, three days ago, they had Law Enforcement Appreciation Day at the State House. I think that says all you need to know right there, but whatever. Carrying on. Um, oh, January 5th, he met with uh, Pete Buttigieg to uh, uh, talk about the progress Rhode Island is making thanks to the infrastructure law. Not, not, nothing. Nothing. Come on. There's so many pictures from his inauguration, which was not outdoors for the first time ever. <sighs> it was in a convention center at that. Oh my God, I'm only to January 3rd. I need to scroll faster. I'm sorry, you guys. I should have had this pulled up before now. Ah, there it is on Christmas Day. All right, let me uh, hit the screen share real quick. I apologize again for that delay. I should have had this uh, ready to go. Check that out. Check that out. From my family to yours, Merry Christmas, Rhode Island. And notice that uh, I commented on this already, and so did a lot of other people. Um, it's seriously one of the most out of touch things that I've ever seen. Um, yeah. 
Oh, wow, you guys are active in the comments tonight. All the money they spend on campaigns and all the BS could be spent lifting up people and communities. Amen to that. Just imagine, if you will. Yup, yup, spot on, Corbin. That's uh, what I was alluding to, but you put it into pretty good words here. Using the drug war to demonize homelessness, thereby washing their hands of responsibility and providing them with a boogeyman to keep the working class people going to their nine to five and supporting police. Um, the same pigs sold drugs to areas predominantly with people of color to fund the war on communism and exacerbate racism in the US, which is quite useful to fascists. We've seen that unfolding for the past five years, especially. Um, and yeah, yeah, Austin used the example of 2016 of Hillary Clinton's campaign, about $300 million. Imagine every campaign from the 2020 election cycle. Imagine all of that money going into doing good work in the communities. I'm just saying. <clears throat> um, okay, so uh, it wasn't Cranston I was thinking of, but there's been uh, homeless encampments removed from Smith Hill, Woonsocket, Smith Hill is in Providence, Woonsocket and Warwick. Um, the mayor of Warwick said the encampment has been vacant for weeks. Come on now. Come on. Danelle, I'm not sure which thing you're referring to is disgusting, but um, if I, I'm assuming that it's Dan McKee's Christmas card photo. The state, um, oh my God, this is even more out of touch. They brought with them all of the possessions they wished to keep and left behind what they didn't want. That's the same shit that they said at the state house to justify slashing their tents, slashing their blankets, throwing it all into a truck and taking it to the dump. Um, the mayor said the situation in Warwick is nothing like the one in Woonsocket, where those living in the encampment were reportedly told to leave weeks prior. That's public land. That should be available to anyone at any time. Um, you know, the fact that we're trying to, like, gatekeep who can access public property should be a red flag to everyone, too, right? Um... The deputy, deputy director of the Rhode Island Coalition to End Homelessness said removing the encampments isn't the answer. You don't say. Quote, by bulldozing encampments, cities are creating a crisis on top of an existing crisis. We can't clear encampments when people have no place to go. Um, Margot Morisot is the deputy director deputy director of the Rhode Island Coalition on Homelessness, said there are more than 260 Rhode Islanders living on the streets. The last I know, the system 
that Rhode Island uses to get homeless people into shelters has a waiting list over 500 people long. So yeah, no shit, it's more than 260. You're kind of really lowballing there. It's almost like you're trying to minimize the problem. That number is expected to rise over the next few months since those who found temporary housing over the holidays will likely be forced out long before finding permanent housing. This is another issue with homeless shelters in general, let alone a fucking warming center. The housing market that we are in right now is displacing people and families with children faster than we can house them. The state opened a 24-hour warming station last month inside the Cranston Street Armory in an effort to temporarily shelter homeless Rhode Islanders during the winter months. But we just heard the person that runs it say that they are not equipped to have people living there. So where did our taxpayer money go? They spent like more than $2 million to get it operational. It took them a month behind schedule and they only had 50 beds instead of 350. Um, I'm concerned with how our city managed the evacuation and the bulldozing of the encampment. Let's call it what it was. It was not a pretty picture. Let's call it what it was. It was not a pretty picture. Ah, I would have been a little more harsh with that. Exactly, Corbin. Only under capitalism does it become an issue. Do you do you see issues like this in uh, in Cuba or in North Korea or even in China? Hell no. Do you see issues like this even in social democratic countries in Europe? Hell no. Only under well, capitalist imperialism. I'll go far enough to say that. Only under capitalist imperialism does this become. The issue that we're seeing, you know, here in the United States currently. Ooh, excuse me. I also apologize for eating on the stream. Um, you know, it is what it is, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it is a ridiculously easy problem to solve if we're talking about on a societal scale, right? But right now, what we need is to have, um, you know, our own, um, like, people-powered methods to combat this, and that's why I, every time we talk about the housing issue, I always plug the poor people's army, or if you're old enough to remember the activism that followed the Occupy Wall Street movement, there was offshoots called um, Occupy Our Homes, and they did the same kind of things. They did the um, eviction defense, they did uh, seizing of empty properties, etc. So the last thing that I wanted to discuss, which this isn't even, um, actually it doesn't have a date on it, but it's it's still relevant. Um, it's titled, and this came from the, the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, 
I swear I saw a date earlier today, but I guess not. Uh, the, ins- the the title is Removing Homeless from Sight Doesn't Make Them Go Away. Oh, hi, Talia. Are you uh, going to join the Zoom room or um, you just coming into the comments today? And who doesn't love egg rolls? <laughs> I'm eating a deli section quesadilla. It's actually not as bad as I expected it to be. Um, I missed a couple comments here. Austin said, they live in their gated communities behind fence, so they can't see any problem. Uh, they look out their windows and only see the realities they want to see. Yeah, it's the whole head in, their, uh, head in the sand mentality. Oh, you're in the waiting room? Oh, why didn't that pop up and tell me that? That's weird. Well, you're allowed in. So... Whenever you connect to the audio, I will I will hear you. I see you. Hello. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the insatiable appetite to see homeless people disappear from our parks, streets, business districts, and tourist areas requires us to go. Uh, requires us all to go back to one of the very first lessons we are taught as infants. Just because you can no longer see it doesn't mean it no longer exists think of this the next time that you play peekaboo with a toddler now you see the homeless now you don't but either way we're still here peekaboo when city governments talk about closing our parks at night and uh, establishing expanded camping and cooking restrictions when chronicle columnist cw nevius writes about the parks we often hear the the phrase this is not about homelessness it's about the parks you know like in the before times, long ago when it would get hot before air conditioning, people would literally sleep in the parks, right? Or like during the Great Depression, people would literally build entire villages of fucking tar paper shacks, right? And this wasn't criminalized. Was it ideal? Hell no, but it wasn't criminalized. Can you imagine if it was? There would have been a revolution that fucking night. Yeah, it's, and my mic is not working, is it? Can you hear me? I hear you, yeah. Okay, perfect. I just wanted to make sure because it wasn't showing up on my end. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm just going to, like, readjust my camera here real quick. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, the, fa- the idea of just people being able to sleep in places where it was actually safe for them to do so, being criminalized is just definitely one of the more modern, I guess, um, manifestations of how fucking frankly evil our system has become because obviously you know like there are certain systems such as the one that we live in that do have their inherent evil sides right or evil traits i guess is the best way to phrase it but a large way of how we can judge of how fucked it is is just based on how much of that is just allowed to run crazy we saw it during the gilded age and then it went away for a little bit it was always still there um especially for minority communities but the fact that we are just seeing people who are just simply trying to live being arrested for that is for literally existing exactly and that's just like one of those concepts that i i don't understand why people support it um yeah me either, like oh it, i think that it's more of like people are afraid to stand up for the state about it um no i think that there are actually a lot of people who do genuinely support it um because there are so many examples I see online of, oh, well, you know, like if people are upset about 
you know, like the spikes or whatever set down on areas where homeless people could go sleep or the benches with the extra bars thrown in. They're like, well, just, they should just go to a shelter then. Ignoring the fact yeah. that coming, like on a basic level or basic notion is something that I think about a lot. Um, and this is obviously going back to the title of the article. Um, so for the record, I haven't had a chance to read through this yet. Um, just for everyone watching. So this is, I'm doing a full lot bet here for editorializing. And you know, like me personally, I don't know which shelters I would even be able to get into because I'm a trans, I'm a trans lesbian chick, right? And it's not always as simple as just saying, oh, well, go get help or go to a shelter. Yeah. Because, you know, for me personally, like with therapy, for example, I'm a sex worker and I just recently found out about pineapple support, which is basically a therapy resource for sex workers or people in the adult industry. Let's phrase it that way. And I applied for it a while ago and I was, it wasn't until I'm uh, late last week that I finally heard back from, uh, the resource, uh, the resource, or the basically the people, the distributors of resources who finally put me in touch with the therapist. And it took a long time that if I were in a more hard pressure or more high pressure situation, like what I've been able to have waited those couple of months to get that help, that is frankly very affordable for me. The answer to that question is I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. I mean, I would tend to think probably not though yeah um the only reason i say i don't know is because of the fact that it's like i know they've been through a lot of shit in my life that i've been able to pull through just as a matter of uh wanting to spite people but you know I, i'm also yeah what, but I'm i mean also, how far can spite really take you though you would be surprised you would be very very surprised um i am i'm not saying that i'm a vengeful bitch but i'm also not the most uh, friendly person whenever you do me wrong so and nobody should expect you to be. Yeah, exactly. Plus, you know, it's like I know the um, uh, I know the left hand side of the craft as well. Right. Those who know know. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, to to circle back, you you were just talking about how you think a lot of people do um, actually support these kind of things, and that's kind of what he's alluding to here, or they, I should say, it's Paul Bowden and jennifer friedenbach but um this is not about homelessness it's a it's about the parks like or you know like oh these people should just go to a shelter that's exactly what you were just talking about um you know they might not come out and say fuck the homeless people but in in their actions or lack thereof they basically are saying fuck the homeless people yeah and it's one of the situations where actions speak much louder than words um, and I use the exact same, and I'm not trying to go off the rails, um, but I always use the exact same line of thought whenever I'm discussing the anti-abortion movement, right? Because they're always like, oh, well, like, you know, you can always adopt, you can always do this, you can always do that. And I'm just like, yeah, you can, but how hard is it to get a child adopted? Right. Especially if that baby isn't white or God forbid, which is ironic, um, or, um, you know, God forbid that the, um, uh, that the baby has some sort of um, birth defect or is born with a birth defect, and it's a, a child being adopted, as we very well know, at least in this circle, is far from a guarantee. And right. it's just pathetic of how it was like, oh, yeah, adoption. Great way out, right? Just like back when I used to volunteer at a food pantry, it was like, oh, well, like, you know, like food pantries, the, like they have food, everything else is fine for them. Like, you know, now they can go do whatever. And that was when I really, that was when my image of, um, I guess, the American delusion 
was really shattered or was starting to crack for me. It took a while for it to be truly shattered, but I still remember seeing the people who were coming in consistently and it was just so hard for them to be able to get on. Like literally that food wasn't a, oh, hey, this is going to help them like, you know, do whatever they want. This is a, this is so they don't fucking die. Yeah. And yeah, that was, let me think, that would have been, yeah, that would have been over 10 years ago. And that still sticks with me to this day. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, basically, I'm, I'm not going to read this whole article, but I am going to touch on a, a few specific things. Um, well, first of all, they rebut. It has everything to do with homelessness. Um, our parks, our freeway underpasses, our streets have been around a lot longer than the very recent advent of closing and fencing them off. In fact, a direct correlation can be made between the massive increases in homelessness in the early 1980s. Uh, note the rise of neoliberalism globally. I mean, Margaret Thatcher, uh, Ronald Reagan. Anyway, I'm not going to go on that side quest right now. It, but... it's, it's, it's all about the glass house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then they go on to talk about park closures, you know, like, uh, for example... Prior to Mayor Frank Jordan's Matrix program, all of San Francisco's public parks were open 24 hours a day. Now, Golden Gate Park closes at 10 p.m., and other parks either close at dusk or at midnight. Um, they bring up police programs with both old and new vagrancy laws and the fencing off of open space. They talk about federal cuts to affordable housing programs. Check out this dollar amount from $83 billion in 1978 to $18 billion in 1983. I'm just, um, I actually really want to account, um, and so that was $83 billion in 1973, or in 1978, right? Yeah, 78. Because I know that there um, was a bit of a account in the comments, in um, said, and expensive as shit to adopt, and Austin added, Adoption is mostly just for the well-off. It's it, it's disgusting. It's a for-profit system. Everything is a for-profit system. Unfortunately, that is very much the case. Also, sorry, I'm getting over a bit of a bug, so my brain is kind of like absolutely fried right now. Um, I feel like everybody across the country has pretty much fucking been sick this last couple of weeks. Okay, so um, just to put things in perspective, um, that um 83 billion in 1978 would have actually been 126.7 billion in 1983. wow yeah i'm sorry or did i do that wrong no i did that right yeah so that is a much larger cut than this is why friends we always account for inflation yeah always because instead of being a which is still awful like what would that be um like a 80% cut or so. I'm bad at math. Instead of being like a little bit under, let's call it like 78% cut, it ends up being a lot larger than that. Yeah. Um, That's awful. That is awful. So just to cover the last few points that I that I'm that I picked out of this. Um, we need to rediscover what we learned when we were infants. People still exist, even if we don't see them. 
It's called mm -hmm. object permanence. Maybe if we remember this lesson, we would choose to do something about the increasing number of families and individuals living without housing and begin to fund housing programs again. Um, in response, <clears throat> this is another big one. We, we already briefly touched on jails when we talked about Missouri, which have you heard about that fucking law? Um, probably, well, is it newer or is it old? Well, it went into effect the first of the year. It was passed sometime last year. But, I have not heard about that now. Um, so now anywhere on state property, whether that be street medians or, or state owned parks or, um, you know, under bridges, et cetera, any state owned property, it is now a $750 fine and or up to 15 days in jail with a misdemeanor conviction for camping on state ground or, okay. you know, e existing on publicly owned land. $750 fine. Yeah. 700. All right. Like, you know, I'm a college student, right? Um, I was like, that's in a bit of flux right now because of shit, but $750 for me is like, if I were hit with a $750 bill, and I'm a person with a house with a decent income that would put that would throw my entire life under the bus, not, not under the bus, but like that would definitely throw everything into flux. I can't right. imagine being, you know, in true abject poverty and being hit with a $750 fine, like that would never get paid. And then I'm, I'm fair, no in Missouri, like that probably stacks up to the point where it can become a felony after some point too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and like if you have like some sort of minimum wage job and you get arrested and go to jail for two weeks, which let's just give them benefit of the doubt and say it would be for three days, you still probably lose your job. So congratulations, whatever progress you were making is now gone. You have a criminal record, so good luck being able to get into any shelters. Yep. <laughs> this is why I never Man, you to... just like took that whole thing like real quick, like, you know, connection after connection. I like that. Unfortunately, I, um, uh, being from that area, I am quite familiar with how those lawmakers think. That's fair. The point is that sweeping dirt under the rug doesn't clean the floor. Yeah, exactly. It's like homes or people without homes are always going to exist. Unfortunately, well, hopefully we can actually solve the issue. But as of right now, they're always going to exist and not allowing them to sleep in public places where Let's be honest, it's a lot safer for them to sleep in a park than it is in some back alley by a dumpster. I hate to say it, but it's it's kind of true. Because at least the park, like, you know, there's lighting and also like it's possible to be able to get on this little community going there, which honestly, I wonder if part of it is trying to avoid the um uh um I I, I can't remember what the name of the that autonomous zone in Seattle was that was going a couple Chaz. years ago. Chaz, yeah. I wonder if it's almost an attempt to prevent another um, Chaz from happening. You know, because, when like, I first heard about Chaz, I was so, like, excited about it, but, like... And then it kind of really sucked got, after a while. Yeah, it got really bad really fast. And, I mean, yeah. I'm sure that there was, you know, like, uh, agent provocateurs that, that helped, you know, everything go to shit, but, I mean, it's just... 
I was just like, oh my God, this is probably the most badass thing that's ever happened in the US. And then it was like, oh, never mind. I don't want nothing to do with that. Yeah, I, I guess it was kind of like one of because I remember very clearly um uh um just of how the right was absolutely going batshit insane when when that was happening. And I remember thinking to myself, because it, you know, basically like I still have at the time I still had a fairly heavy conservative influence in my life through my family. And thinking to myself, oh my God, like this is going to be like the worst thing to ever happen to this country. Like the entire country is going to become like this, right? And so it was like this perfect boogeyman um, that the right needed because let's be honest, the right, um, or let's be honest, any non-left, true non-left-wing group was always going to need a boogeyman, right? That they use to uh, take it and just run with it. And that's probably what's just fine. Most, if not all of these um, uh, anti-homeless um, or anti-people experiencing homelessness laws. Granted, that is me getting a little bit conspiratorial there, but yeah, I digress. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, let's look at the whole George Floyd uprisings, right? I mean, we saw 30 million people take to the streets over the course of a few months. And then, you know, a, a lot of um, the people who claim to support the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, went, uh, went ahead and voted for Jim Crow Joe, who has, um, which this is something we'll be talking about a little more in depth later, but he has increased police funding. Yeah. We said defund, he said refund? Yeah, I, it's, and that's like one of the situations where, um, like once COVID happened, it was clear that Biden was going to be the Democratic nominee. Granted, of course, that's what happens whenever we're in the current system that we have with um, uh, um, the, the uniparty system where the Republicans and Democrats just do the exact same shit. One is just slightly less bad than the other. Um, but like once Biden had the nomination, once it was clear that he was going to win, it's like, it, you know, it was easy to be optimistic that Biden might not be as terrible as we were all expecting, but I don't think it's very surprising what Biden has ended up doing. Um, it's like, has he done some good stuff? Yeah, but ultimately at the end of the day though, still Biden, still I'm a Jim Crow Joe, which I am going to steal that saying because I love that. I don't even remember where I initially heard it. Heard it? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, I initially heard it, but we've been, uh, it, it might have been, it might have been Trisha's thing, honestly, but we've been saying it on here for quite a while. Yeah, um, I, I love that. I love that. Heard it. It reminds me of my Polish great aunt saying, wow, that hurted, like when she stubbed her toe. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, so unionization, um, just to remind everybody, 2022 was the most union activity that the United States has seen in like 40 years. Not that that's, you know, like setting the bar very fucking high, but, but um, it's still a good thing to see. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd rather take some uh, union activity than none. I guess I can just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but so 
this was a social media thing. This last thing, Narrowbred thing, it was a Facebook video of uh, it was a live video of these people, Panera Bread workers, delivering a list of demands to management. Basically, we're seeing at least one Panera Bread location try to rise up and do the same thing that like Starbucks is doing. Um, What did Austin say? <laughs> Corbin said, "Still want to punch Elizabeth Warren in the throat." You mean, <laughs> you mean Pocahontas? <laughs> I'm sorry to use Trump's line there, but I mean, it's kind of really fucking good. That one. I mean, uh, yeah, that's just. She was like, "I'm Cherokee," as she is like, you know, whiter than me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, so Austin said the United States spends around $800 million a day on the police. I still have to type up a uh, updated article about that, but we, when we get to that section in the stream, I do have a couple of pieces that, that we have written about, uh, well, one of them is about military funding, but in that article, we talk about how surplus military gear goes to the police pretty much by default and yeah. the other one is the militarization of the police and its cost on society and um well i think we could have went deeper into the cost on society to be honest but yeah 800 fucking million dollars a day the third yeah um and one like, thing that i want to point out to you real quick i'm like, if you don't mind me cutting you off because this yeah, is actually yeah, very ahead. relevant i'm um, so in my criminology studies um in my undergrad uh college um, or university, sorry, I have to be bougie. Um, but I had a, a police lieutenant who taught my law enforcement class. It was law enforcement and then um, criminal investigations. Law enforcement was supposed to be more nuanced. It wasn't very nuanced, if I'm being honest with you. Um, and I remember he, his justification for why the military should give its surplus equipment to the police departments, and I shit you not, is or why it's not a bad thing, is because I shit you not, quote, it's really hard for police departments with tiny budgets to be able to keep these things running, end quote. But collectively, if the if the United States police forces, and that's not counting federal agencies, if the United States police force were a, a military, it would be the third largest military budget in the world. Yeah. And of course, like, you know, the United States military spends more money on defense than the next 10 countries combined so you know like if you add the police budget to the defense but how much are we really spending on defense um yeah yeah, so uh, Austin said that's around $277 billion a year before the increase to the budget. I'm not sure what the final number for 2023 is, um, but that's just federal funds. That's not counting whatever funds they get from their perspective or respective, rather, uh, municipalities. Yeah, exactly. It's and because, like, and the other thing, too, are all the police departments that basically have, um, you know, most of their budgets be made up for, exclusively from traffic tickets yeah yeah because i mean like if i'm being honest um where i live there are two suburbs that are known very well that you do not speed through because if you get pulled over you are getting a ticket because that is how they get their money 
Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like I was pulled over in one of those things. It was just for a, um, uh, it was just for having a bad license plate light. You know, I got off with a warning, but you know, even though, you know, I was honestly scared shitless when that interaction first started. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm carrying right now. How is this going to go? And that's like the other thing too, is it's like, you know, if, if someone gets pulled over for doing five over, which most officers in, um, in departments that don't get almost all the revenue from speeding tickets or from traffic tickets, they're going to let you go for five over, right? They may pull you over and be like, Hey, look, you know, unless you're doing yeah. something real stupid, um, for the most part, they're probably going to let you go. Well, but, shit, out in Arizona, the only time I got pulled over, I stopped, like, with the front end of my car, like, in a crosswalk, and I got a ticket for that. But, like, do you know how many times I've seen people, like, run red lights in front of a cop or, like, pass them doing, like, 20 over? Like, yeah, what the fuck? But I stopped a little too far forward, and he's like, Whoop. Yeah, the, I mean, that, that's that's one of those things where it's, like, the cop probably just had a um, interactions quota that he had to get. So basically um, in, in states for quotas, ticket quotas are outlawed. How departments do it, at least in most cases, from what I know, it's been a long since I've had a conversation with an officer in one of these areas. But what they'll do is instead of having like a minimum number of tickets per month or, or per day, there is a minimum number of interactions that you have to have with certain types of vehicles. So that's the case of an officer who's probably like, shit, you know, like my shift ends in 25 minutes and I'm still like an interaction short or whatever. Oh, hey, that guy over there stopped. I'm a, you know, a foot in front or foot too far. I'm going to go over, pull that person over, you know, and then like, yeah, just go from there. It's bullshit, but that's how that usually goes. Because remember, well, and the funny thing is like how the situation unfolded, right? Like he was in the left turn lane on a bike, like motorcycle cop. Yeah. I was in the right turn lane. I thought that I was going to have time to go. So I like let off the brake and started going. But then I realized that I didn't have time to go. So I stopped. Right. And then before I could like back back up, he was right behind me. And as soon as the light changed and I went, he turned his lights on. And I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah, that 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 um, uh, has happened to me before too. Because the first time I got pulled over by a cop that I wasn't friendly with, because um, I used to work as a uh, as a law clerk up in a criminal firm and back in uh, the St. Louis area. And one of the one of the cops, because I was constantly going to court him, and I kind of became friendly. He went back over to patrol. He would stop me like once a week, be like, "Oh, hey, how's it going?" You know, and shit like that. It was it was all, it was all fun and jokes. So it, that was back when I was presenting white male though, so it didn't scare me at all. Um, but my first time getting pulled over, which for the record is also not a good thing to have happening, just to be clear, it is a waste of police resources. Um, although I guess in the same time, though, too, it's kind of better for me to be stopped just saying hi to a cop and bullshitting than instead of someone getting shot. But um, I was pulled over for having my brights on um, inside city limits, which I was like, okay, you know, it was whatever. Wow. Um, and uh, basically what happened was it's like similar situation. I stopped at the traffic light. Cop was like in the lane next to me. I go, I'm a reasonable rate of speed. He, he lights me up and pulls me over. Um, got off with a warning, but it was still like one of those like really weird situations of where it's like, yeah, I guess this is how the shit goes down sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I dropped a couple links in the comments for the articles that I talked about a minute or two ago. Um, This link 
um, that I'm sending in the Zoom chat here. Uh, it's from like a year ago almost. It's from last March. <clears throat> but, um, <laughs> well, here's the headline that says it all. Quote, the answer is not to defund, end quote. Here's what's in President Biden's increased budget for policing. Now, remember that we, the Democrats complained about how much Trump spent on police, and then Biden got elected immediately, <laughs> like increased yeah. that already ridiculous funding. And then now, a year later, he's still increasing that extremely ridiculous funding. Like, <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, that and like one of the other things too and like i've had this discussion i believe it was, i can't remember if i had it in a group chat or if it was just like exclusively off of like away from uh, this group but i've often made the case or have been a proponent of making the case that hey like you know like yeah the defunding process just to get it through isn't like you know like actually defunding the police it's reallocating those funds to ensure that people get the help that they need or whatever or certain situations are handled more appropriately um and yes you can deal with the pushback of um, some, you know, asshole being like, oh, you know, how's the social worker going to be able to handle, you know, the guy with the gun? And it's like, well, the dude is like waving a gun around. You're not going to send it to a social worker. Like, that's just a simple fact of how things are right now, right? Um, and the fact that police funding was increased, and I don't think that there was any corresponding increase in social services. Were there? I do not believe so. Okay, yeah. Because I don't, I don't remember hearing anything about that. Um, yeah, and like really, um, like the only good thing that came out of that was a hundred or was in a hundred million dollar increase for like civil rights enforcement for like hate crimes and shit. But like, let's be honest, like that is vast. The good from that is vastly outweighed. Over well, yeah, else. and I mean, like in reality, are they going to pursue those things or is it just like laundering money at the end of the day? Because yeah. um, do I know cops who do actually care about um, civil rights? I know some, yes. But at the same time, though, too, how many would actually go to bat if I were, you know, assaulted or whatever? Like, the, and I hate to say yeah. it, but there are a lot of extremely conservative right wing cops out there who yeah. are very transphobic. Um, obviously, there's exceptions to the rule, but the rule is still the rule. I hate to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I will also reiterate there are exceptions to the rule, but like, you know, a lot of people try to push back on the all cops are bastards thing by being like, oh, well, not all cops, just like men are like, not all men. But, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's saying that every individual cop is personally a bastard. The point is, is that they're upholding a corrupt racist system. It doesn't have anything to do with like how they treat people in real life. It has to do with how they treat minorities when they're wearing their badge. Like, because yeah. it's like, and that power trip is a very yeah. real thing. And I think that that's what often gets lost in the discussion is, um, you know, I'm just going to use an example for my personal life. And for the record, I was not a person, a police officer or anything like that. But, you know, my Volkswagen, you know, it has like that Decepticon barricade police badge up on the front fender. And um, I was pulled over in a tourist area um, in this area, not pulled over, like pulled over by a cop. But, like I was like in like a little parking lot with my lights facing the roadway so I could use my phone because I got a couple message notifications and I needed to answer them. And um, I noticed that there were people who were slowing down. And it was kind of like one of those funny things. I'm like, oh, hey, look, I'm causing people to, um, uh, 
um, and causing people to slow down without even considering the fact it's like, oh, hey, like this is a fair bit of, uh, this is kind of fucked up to say the least that people are afraid of getting a speeding ticket. Um, okay, and so it looks like the reins of the conversation have been turned over to me for a second here. Um, so if anyone wants to add anything, that would be a perfect time to do it. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of go off on a little bit of a soliloquy here without notes, which is always a very fun time. And one thing that I remember discussing back when I was an undergrad, a fair bit during my criminal justice education, is the idea that politicians talk a lot about being hard on crime while in reality, they're issuing or they're their funding is for softer sentences, so to speak, right? So like instead of prison, like you're advocating for probation, things of that nature, which is admittedly like, you know, more probation instead of prison is a good thing. But at the same time though, too, the way that our enforcement budgets are being um, worked out, I guess is the best way to phrase it, is also problematic and doesn't, um, uh, it just simply doesn't solve the root issue because what are the root issues? And the simple answer is, are so the social inequality crisis that we're going through right now. For example, um, my overall experiences I'm going through right now with my schooling as a survivor of sexual assault and as a result of losing my, um, my law school scholarship is, which basically is a result from me dealing with some trauma, my grade dropping just below and then having to go on medical leave and not having a chance to get that grade back up, essentially boils down to, okay, people at the end of the day, do things because they have to, right? A lot of crime is crime of desperation, especially a lot of the crime that is being unfairly prosecuted that we're discussing tonight. I guarantee you that almost, if not every single person experiencing homelessness right now would rather be able to be in a nice, comfortable dwelling space, shielded from the elements. Obviously there's some people who love living outside, nothing wrong with that. But the fact that we, are ignoring the reason that they are experiencing homelessness, be it that they're part of the LGBTQ plus community, um, they're another minority, help, they're black and they can't get hired as a result of that because hiring discrimination is still very, very fucking real, is one of the greatest failings that our country is having right now. And that's exactly um, my point, Austin, you know, if I were to get pulled over right now, that would be a very real issue for me if I were to get a ticket. Sorry, someone sent me a message on Facebook and I had to I'm gonna clear that out. Um, but the joke that I hear a lot of times is if it's punishable by fine, then it's legal for a price, which is true. But there's a big difference between, you know, me, Talia, and someone like Rob Freddy who can afford a lawyer every time he gets pulled over. And yeah, because if I had a lawyer who was constantly on retainer for stuff like that, I would never have to worry about getting a speeding ticket because I knew I would always get off with no points on my license. Talking about something um, where someone could be fined for sleeping outside, they're not gonna be able to pay that fine. And it is such a terrible, terrible shortcoming or shortfall. I don't know what the proper word is. Like I said, I'm getting over a bit of a bug. Um, so our mind's a little bit fuzzy. It's just such a terrible societal shortcoming or shortfall that I don't know how we can actually solve that 
without having some serious change happening at this, on the structural level. And also not, that goes without mentioning um, like vehicle registration fees and all that other stuff too, for people who may wanna be able to sleep in their car um, or may want a car to be able to sleep in them while you consider like how expensive vehicle registration fees to be, especially for a newer car, right? And with how vehicle um, prices are increasing right now, I mean, hell, the Volkswagen I have is actually worth more now than it was when I bought it because of how the market is right now. And I understand that, but at the same time though too, whenever you are, um, whenever we're dealing with something that people need money to want to be able to do, and you're going to be outlawing people sleeping on benches and all that. Okay, well, what if you want to sleep in a car? But that car, um, uh, you have to have insurance. You have to have um, a valid registration. You have to have all this other stuff that frankly is really expensive. There's a better solution out there that requires us taking a drastic turn in the way that we actually run our country and run our economy. And that's, and that's the other thing too, Rob. Like, you know, just because you don't see someone, I'm a, I mean, because actually I'm just going to use an example. Um, whenever I, I'm going to go back to St. Louis, I, I prefer to drive. And people will very often, you know, like I sleep at rest stops because frankly, hotels expensive. And that lot is almost always full. And I can't remember which rest stop it is. It's in Oklahoma, I think. It's either in Oklahoma or Texas. That there, every single time that I've gone there, um, uh, every single time that I've gone there, that car has been there, or there's two cars that have always been there. And I'm just like, okay, like that person is clearly someone who has experienced homelessness, right? And it's one of those things where it's like, well, at least they can sleep here, but the rest stop also isn't really near civilization to say the least. Um, yeah, and it's just really sad thinking about it, especially considering some of the other experiences I've had, right? Yeah. And that really doesn't surprise me. And also like the other thing too with rest stops is, um, you know, it's like, there's a lot of people who just like want to be able to take a nap or whatever in order to like refresh themselves and just keep on going. I'm like that. Um, but I highly doubt that there's so many people who are out there like me who just want to keep on going and just take a short nap that, um, yeah, especially solo travelers too, because traveling with other people in your car, it's a lot safer to sleep in your car at rest stops. Um, but being solo, it does add an extra level of danger to it, which is why personally, um, I know the exact route. Um, uh, I know the exact route that I need to go. And so I know exactly how long it takes me. I know exactly where I, I need to stop at so I can, I can stay under the legal limit so I don't necessarily have to sleep. Um, Yeah, and that's the other thing too, Corbin. Um, you know, rest stops are very far out or just simply far out there. And you can usually sleep at, sleep at truck stops, but the urban truck stops, you know, honestly, I get kind of sketched out by. There's a love stop outside of Oklahoma City I'm on I-40. It's uh, to the west of OKC that I always stop at. And frankly, I would be fine sleeping there. But the issue was, once again, it's way out of the way. Um, thinking of St. Louis right now, um, Let's see, yeah, there's the Flying J and Pontoon Beach that I would probably be fine with sleeping at, but still, it's like, you know, still a bit of risk there. And I guess kind of like the point of my what I'm saying right now 
is that um, it's uh, there's there's very few safe options for people who don't have an actual dwelling place to sleep in. In Austin, the fact that they're doing that doesn't surprise me, but it's fucking pathetic. Because that was like the one thing I always gave Walmart part Walmart credit for. Um, is the fact that it's like, oh hey yeah you know um, you can park here overnight without having to I'm uh, um, to worry about it but unfortunately um, that has obviously changed and it looks like that there is actually a um, uh, um, a resource called WalmartLocator.com that allows you to um, uh, look at a map where like overnight RV parking is allowed. It looks like the majority of stores still allow it, but the simple fact of the matter is like not all of them do. So I'm just gonna like look at my location right now. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So so of all those Walmart locations, there's only two that actually allow it. Wow. And one of them isn't even a Walmart. It is a Sam's Club. Yeah, that is, uh, that's pretty sad to say the least. Oh, yeah, and also like one other thing I want to point out too is the fact of, um, uh, um, so like I'm very much a car person, right? And since we're, we are kind of on the subject of police funds this is something that I really want to talk about real quick is just how expensive new cop cars are. So, you know, like the pretty much the only options for new police vehicles are SUVs and you can either get, welcome back Rob, and you can either, the only sedan option that I can think of that's on the market right now is actually the, um, uh, the Dodge Charger, which isn't exactly cheap. And so you're talking well into the thirties, if not forties of thousands of dollars for one single police car without the proper equipment that you need to actually run it on the street. While there are much other, while there are other smaller cars, that you could use that would be able to do patrols and all that. They won't be pursuit units, but you really don't need pursuit vehicles for every single car. And a lot of, um, I've actually seen some police departments using these on Altimus instead as an effort to, um, uh, um, uh, to cut back on how much they have to spend on each unit, which, hey, you so, know, these on Altimus more efficient, it's a hell of a lot cheaper. And also it can make fun of cops for having big Altima energy. <laughs> so uh i am actually on ford's website right now most uh at least out here most of the police vehicles are ford's yeah almost uh, all of them are anymore yeah the ford police interceptor utility would be the most common i have seen out in arizona specifically in the phoenix valley i'd see chevy suvs like tahoes yeah there's um, a lot of tahoes down here too i was actually pulled over by a couple of tahoes um, when i got stopped that figures fun yeah <laughs> Um, like, but like, so I went to Ford's website to find out how much the police interceptor utility costs and you have to like, you know, get contacted by the company to get a quote. Yeah. And the um, button so, just says, see how much you could save. Yeah. So I'm a basically, um, I believe that the per unit cost, I'm a starts it. It's, I, I believe it's around 40 grand. Um, probably and they have three yeah. different engine options and to yeah. be honest like how fully loaded these fucking things are is, there's a lot of those is... hybrid options out there which for the record so i'm a storm chaser right and i'm um, one of the best options out there for someone like me would actually be the ford interceptor utility because it's so fucking beefy um and like the hybrid would be even better because it has like 400 horsepower 
And let's be honest, are there a lot of really fast fucking cars out there? Yeah. But at the same time, you don't need 400 horsepower in a squad car because most cars don't have 400 horsepower. Even fewer people are willing to actually run from the cops. And, you know, if there's a car that's actually fast enough, then like, you know, like have like one or two police cars per force that are able to keep up with it. Well, maybe more than one or two, maybe like have like a dedicated pursuit fleet or whatever. But the simple fact of the matter is that you don't need the 400 horsepower Ford Explorer. Like, yeah. 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 Plus it's not even, it's not even that good if we're being honest with each other. Like, well, no, and I mean, it's funny that they call it a utility vehicle. I mean, that frame is the, the frame from the Taurus, which I don't think Ford even makes anymore. Oh yeah, they, they, yeah, they killed off the they killed off the Taurus some a few years ago. Which honestly, like the Ford the Interceptor sedan, which is what the Taurus was called, was actually a fantastic vehicle. Um, if I could, I would have bought one new, just because of the simple fact that it's like, oh hey, yeah, like this is gonna be a car that's gonna run forever, even with naturally aspirated V6. But point being, though, is that cops also beat the living shit out of their cars and they get rid of them every 60 to 100,000 miles, depending on the department. Which, whenever you're talking about that kind of turnover, um, it's a lot of lost money. Which seems pretty ridiculous in my mind. And actually, I'm kind of curious to see what the uh, Tahoe police. I'm sure it's even more than the Ford. If I can even find it um let's see so that's a used one base price oh no that's um all right yeah so base price it looks like is i'm a 53.4 wow per car before outfit wow um so like just to tie all this in this record-setting funding is leaving to record-setting police killings and that's yeah. part of why I'm so frustrated about this whole this whole thing, right? Like the whole George Floyd uprising. So there's 30 million people that took to the streets over the course of that summer, saying enough of uh, enough is enough. And then now we're seeing even more people be killed by the police, and everybody's you know quiet about it. I don't I don't really understand. I mean, last year law enforcement officers killed at least 1,176 people. That's over 100 people a month. Or, well, I mean, that's about 100 people a month. Not over. Um, so I, I've uh, given this uh, link in the comments before, but mappingpoliceviolence.us will show you, you know, the dates, locations, and um, sometimes deeper data than that, um, which they are, their, their numbers update as they get new information. You got to remember, not all, there isn't like a central database that this gets reported to. So it's not like they know as soon as the police kill someone. Um, yeah, it takes time. Right, but that number, in the article was 1,176. The number being reported today is 1,183 people in 2022. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, it's only seven people. That's exactly what they fucking want you to think. You know, it's like, I mean, those are still seven lives cut short. And how many of those do we actually hear about? Well, I mean, we should care about all of them. 
Exactly. And, and you know, the interesting thing is that uh, some sort of reporting software like this would not be necessary in most other countries. Like, you know, if you look at, I, I mean, I, I'm, I don't remember the exact numbers, but like in 2020, Germany killed, I think it was seven people. German police killed seven people, you know, or like in the UK, I think it was even lower than that, like three people or something. And, uh, you know, compare that to our 1,183, but yet Western media just talks about like shootings, like the population is the problem, but where is this violence stemming from? Yeah, right. and that's the issue that is really hard for us to solve that ultimately at the end of the day is like what we need to solve the most. And my mom was calling me and I'm not gonna answer that. Um, it's like it's like my, my throat's already sore enough. I don't need to get into a screaming match. Um, but at the end of the day though too, it is a case of, it's like you just said, it's like we have to figure out like where in the hell this is all stemming from. And why do we have a culture of violence that is so heavily, I guess just, in all of society right now because that's the best way to describe it like it's everywhere yeah but we don't see that in other we don't see that in other areas of the world and if i'm being honest with you and i know that this is me kind of preaching the choir but i think that people just really are kind of at the point of social inequality just really taking a toll on us yeah because I'm actually kind of curious. When did um, all firearm? While you were looking that up, I want to just show you this map from MappingPoliceViolence.us. Um, this is the this is 2022. You see the date in the bottom there. Every one of those blips is an officer involved shooting. Yeah, which is a lot. Which which led to death, by the way. This is just mm -hmm. deaths. This isn't every shooting. Now we're into August, September, October, November, and December. Like, obviously it just loops, but th this should not be acceptable in any sense um yet again this is one of those issues like i mean you know americans like to talk shit about like the french military or whatever but can you imagine the french people tolerating that um as i often say fuck the french but I mean, you're right i mean i can't <laughs> imagine them tolerating that and it's just like one of those things too where it's like i mean I mean, I hate, you know, the borderline, I'm a sexist pun, but like the French do have balls, if we're being honest. Yeah, because I mean- They've been, uh, they've been know, the ones who have actually been fighting back against against a ton of shit that's been going on in their country. And- yeah. I, I mean, like, you know, like a, a farm bill that was disliked by the farmers. I mean, all of a sudden, like every government office in the fucking country has a giant pile of cow shit out front. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I, God, that's that's like absolutely beautiful. Um, God, yeah, it's yeah. I I don't know what it is about the U.S. that we're just like so reluctant to like actually effectively protest. And I do think part of it is just the fact like we just can't afford to. If I'm being honest with you, 
Yeah. Because because being able to protest is fucking expensive. Because you don't know what the government's going to do to cost you your job. You don't know, um, like hell. I mean, just being able to get time off work to be able to go protest is difficult. I mean, COVID. One of the big reasons that we had so many protests, I genuinely believe, is because so many people were unemployed because of the pandemic. And you know, it's like once that's over, it's like okay, well, I mean, just look at the protests over Roe v. Wade. Once I'm on, that was overturned, those weren't those weren't sustained really. Yeah. Um, and I'll be guilty. Like I'm guilty. Like I went out the first night and I really didn't do a whole lot in person after that. I did some small level stuff, but like no actual proper rallies. Why? I couldn't afford the time off work. Yeah, I understand. I mean, that was that was me during the George Floyd uprisings, really. Yeah. And it's not like I can really afford to even do the things that I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. That's another okay. conversation altogether. So I just shared in the comments uh, another article. Um, this one I wrote. Um, I mean, I'm just going to read a couple of uh, parts for it because basically, like, you know, my whole mindset is like, okay, so what do we do? And that's kind of like what this article was. I don't want to say what's to be done because it's nowhere near the scale of, <laughs> of Lenin's what is to be done but um these were just like some quick thoughts on the overall situation and um basically i talk about the material conditions of the american proletariat falling apart um hold up how one we second need my, to... my, um hey rob give me one second my mom's starting to call the cops on me because i haven't answered her phone calls give me one second oh yeah okay. that's a fun time that's awful Um, This isn't the first time. So we need to view historical events through a scientific lens. We need to serve the people in our communities, form organizations in every community possible to serve the people and interconnect with other revolutionary and activist groups fighting for similar goals in our own communities and other communities. I'm referring to programmatic unity. For example, in the United Panther movement, they see working with other groups as necessary for our collective survival. In this example, as long as you believe in the Panther Party's 10-point program and fight towards those goals, they're interested in organizing with you. Um, Another example would be the Second Rainbow Coalition. Um, You know, like if if you are working towards lessening our reliance on the capitalist system, if you are working towards building institutions, if you are working towards feeding people in your community, we need to be working together. There's a lot of different shapes and forms that this can take. Self-sufficiency, agriculture, housing, energy, healthcare, education. We need to develop community programs to develop base areas of social, social, cultural, economic, and political power. We should never become disconnected from the masses. That means the people around us. We need to be talking to everyone we can and trying to get us all on the same page. Don't use the scary jargon. Just talk to people, you know? Um, uh, Under the current capitalist imperialist framework, we're forced to spend most of our time and energy at jobs to quote, earn our living. Meaning we spend most of our time away from our homes and families in order to keep our housing utilities and food in our stomachs. 
What I'm hoping that we can do here is build a sense of revolutionary optimism to build kind of a collective feeling of we can actually do this. Um, I talk about a bunch of different things here. I mean, it's actually a longer article than I remember it being, but I'm just jumping to the end here. To wrap this up, I'm encouraging everyone reading this or now listening to me um, to get involved with community groups, feed the homeless, start a community garden, start outreach programs, do anything that you can to improve the conditions um, that you live in as well as you know your neighbors. Don't fall into defeatism. Don't say it's impossible. A better world is possible. Yeah, and the other thing too is like, even saying that something is impossible, um, and this is like, I guess, kind of a bit of a defense with for that is, you know, something may be impossible to like fully accomplish, right? But at the end of the day, though, too, it's like, I think even for people, because like, this is kind of like how I got over my defeatist mindset that I had for quite some time, is like, okay, it may be impossible to get to that result right now. However, what good can I cause or what good can I push into effect that will ultimately, at the end of the day, still accomplish my goal, if not to the full extent that I want it to? But for the record, though, don't think it's impossible because it's fucking not. Amen to that. Um, look, at me, look at me being a little miss optimistic. <laughs> so um, I'm going back to um, since we were already talking about police, I skipped ahead to that part of the program because, like, why would we derail the conversation just to come back to it later, you know? Yeah. Um, but unionization pushes. Uh, the Panera Bread one, like I said, that was just a video that had been shared around social media. Um, I haven't seen any official things about it, but they are working towards unionizing um, and they delivered a list of demands to their management. Um, and then you know, Starbucks and Amazon Labor Union, we've been talking about them almost since the start. Um, so we're gonna talk about that. And then the Railway Workers United weekly updates. Um, I mean, you know, that's a mailing list thing. So we actually have weekly updates for RWU most of the time. So anyway, <coughs> um, ABC News published a business piece. Um, and I mean, you know, like when I when I pick up like mainstream stories to discuss, a lot of it is to kind of push back against their narrative. And that is exceptionally true when I'm quoting, you know, like Business Insider or ABC News Business or, you know, Fortune Magazine. Um, Wait, are you implying that Fortune magazine isn't the isn't a leftist paper? No. <laughs> or it's, it's biased towards Wall Street. Rob, you just like completely destroyed my entire world for you. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so like listen to this, like they're trying to paint this as like uh, oh no, nothing's happening, the union's falling apart, because of course they are. They're a business yeah. paper. Um Labor organizers hope this will be the year that Starbucks U.S. workers finally negotiate a union contract. But with bargaining at a standstill and thousands of employees still unconvinced of the union's value, that outcome is uncertain. 
Like, could you be more like blatant <laughs> about that? Um, am I missing the comment or the article link? Oh, um, I might not have sent it. Hold on. Yeah, I didn't. That's my bad. Straight to Google. Go. That's you. the one. Um, a little more than a year after a Starbucks in Buffalo, New York, became the first U.S. store to unionize in decades. Touching off a wave of labor actions at other big companies like Amazon and Chipotle. I never really heard much about Chipotle. I don't think their campaign was very successful. Yeah, I don't think it was. Like, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like one of those things where they probably were like, oh, hey, we're going to try this. And like, they just didn't have the right people in taking the lead. That's a very fair point, too. Because let's um, be honest, like, it takes someone, it, it takes a certain breed of person to be able to, um, uh, to be able to take on a big company like this and this um, uh, so pro-corporatist political climate that we're in right now. Yeah. So, I mean, some of this uh, isn't necessarily negative, but they go right back into their business-minded rhetoric a couple of paragraphs later. Um, they talk about the number of stores that have petitioned the uh, Labor Relations Board to hold elections, which is 358 at the at the time of uh, at the time of this article's publishing, which was January 10th. Um, and how it's less each month, which of course it is. I mean, you can't expect to keep that pace forever, for, for starters. And there's only so many fucking Starbucks stores. Yeah. I have nothing bad about Starbucks to say. I love my store, I love my manager, and I am 100% supportive of the company. Yeah. Sorry, I just felt that that voice was very warranted. But yeah, I mean, uh, this... This... um, But the union drive also faces resistance from Starbucks' own workers. They they point out that 63 stores have voted not to unionize. Out of 358, though, (laughs) like, the entire angle that they're coming at this is just wild. Or, you know, like a barista in Henderson, Nevada, you know, being anti-union, like that's who you went to, not somebody in like a major city. No, you found somebody in Henderson or Nevada to talk about how great Starbucks is. Anyway, um, I'm not interested in reading this whole article. I just kind of wanted to, you know, poke holes in the narrative from the surface level because that's all it takes. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, I remember, like, I used to be anti-union, and then I did this thing called actually start thinking. I mean, I've never really been anti-union, but, like, I mean, Michigan's the big union state because of the UAW and stuff, and yeah. uh, I never really understood why people were, are like, pro-union or, like, where that history came from until I got much older, and, yeah. um, that's really what pushed me like really left (laughs) ultimately reading about you know uh workers resistance being put down 
for the last 150 years in this country. Yeah, and then, you and know, we act like everything's fine now because in the 30s and 40s, a lot of anarchists, communists and socialists organized in labor unions and made a really big push and got some concessions. But those have yeah. all been eaten away at for the last 60 years yeah exactly because it's like oh it's like you said oh everything's fine and i remember my high school economics teacher she always says she was like yeah people are always like oh hey things are so great now we don't need unions anymore and then 15 um, years down the road then people are going to start saying oh we need unions again and look at what we're look at where we're at like right to work at the end of the day is a ripoff because employees who are not unionized are going to get fucked over and it just makes it even harder to get um, all unions going again. Actually, uh, Talia, do you happen to know anybody? Because there's a lot of uh, Starbucks that have unionized out there. Do you like know anybody that works at any of these unionized Starbucks? I, I don't. Um, I have. I'm not that big of a Starbucks Starbucks girl, if I'm being honest. Um, just because well, yeah that's that's fair yeah it's like either i make my own coffee or i just take advantage of the dunkin donuts app or someone else is buying me dutch bros so chairman zulu is in the comments i just wanted to shout him out thanks for joining us um all right on to the next thing Amazon union, Amazon labor union rather, wins certification after National Labor Relations Board reaffirms historic Staten Island win. So Amazon, what? Link to the article, please. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. You're totally fine. I just like, basically, I just love hearing myself talk so much that I have to interrupt you so I can like actually like read what you're talking about. (laughs) Um. So I'm this this thing has been dragging out since June. Um, actually, like when the the piece that I did back in June, where I like went to the ALU rally um, in Phoenix, which it's been that long ago. Yeah, yeah, God. yeah. It has. Um, so like that that protest was actually really brutal right like it was like 117 fucking degrees that day and they had us on the side of the building that was directly in the sun no shade anywhere everybody's like phones and shit trying to take videos they're all like just shutting off and giving up yeah because like yeah and basically for anyone who's never been to arizona in the summer before um so like my mustang um it's no one like the ac in it isn't great like even when the ac is going on full if i'm just in the car and like my phone is in the sunlight granted i do have a pixel 6 which is known for overheating but if it's like charging at all and it's in the sunlight the thing will overheat and it will shut down just by being in the air-conditioned car so and that's in southern arizona where it's not as bad as it is up in phoenix like the heat it's kind of like the best way that I can compare it to is it's whenever it's like below zero of how for anyone in the northern climates it's literally just like that except that brutally hot down here it's that yeah. it's that kind of dichotomy yeah um that being said uh the reason they were out in phoenix was because the new york um national labor relations board 
uh, didn't want to see the case, so they sent it out to Phoenix. And then the people that should have been testifying at it that were fired, that's what the whole case was about. Um, the people that were fired weren't even allowed into the hearing, so they went all the way out there for fucking nothing. And that's the kind of shit that these big mega corporations are, will do in order to make sure that like they're safe. Yeah. Um, and that being said, there was some cool organizing that went on that day. You know, like watching uh, the international Marxist tendency. You know, talk to a labor union guy who like wasn't off put by the hammer and sickle. You know, the the labor group that completely like blew off every politician that came up there trying to fucking ask his. You know, yeah. like, I mean, like, okay, you want a picture, whatever, but I'm not fucking talking to you, but kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like one of those situations where what we're looking at and just like we understand like exactly the scope that Amazon has, you can really not go anywhere in life and not deal with Amazon, right? Because like they own AWS, obviously, Amazon Web Services, also, which how many websites are actually use AWS as like their baseline, right? It's almost, it's a shit ton of them. Yeah, so 33% of cloud infrastructure, um, which is larger than, um, uh, um, which is larger than both Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud combined. Then you have Audible, like audiobooks, Goodreads, which I don't know a whole lot about Goodreads, Ring, the fucking doorbell company that like everyone uses. Yeah, that's Amazon. Twitch, I love Twitch. But it's also owned by um, by Dick Wad Bezos, um, and then also obviously Whole Foods as well. And there's like a ton of other ones as well that are a lot smaller, or less other subsidiaries that are a lot smaller. But at the end of the day, though, it's like Amazon is absolutely everywhere. And so once we can get like the warehouse workers unionized, and then that's going to like really cause a lot of issues for Amazon in their other areas as well. And it'd be very interesting to see how unionizing would affect streaming. Um, and I say this because I am ultimately a streaming content creator or cam model, if I'm being totally fucking honest with you. It would be interesting to see how that would affect that realm of everything as well, where frankly, um, it, it's tough being a streamer, if I'm being honest, because it sounds easy until you realize that the website takes such a large percentage of what of the revenue generated. Is streaming expensive? Yes, but there's absolutely no negotiating power for what that revenue split is. Either you take it or you leave it. That's pretty much what yeah. it is. Well, yeah, and I mean, when we're talking about streaming, um, you know, musicians have it real fucking rough on that, too. Yeah, exactly. Because um, it's like, what is the cut on Spotify? Actually, I'm going to look up the Amazon Prime. Uh, I mean, I know that, that in general, it's a fraction of a penny per stream at the end yeah. of it. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, Chris Smalls called the, the setbacks of the, uh, the two lost elections, which was another Staten Island warehouse and an Albany, New York uh, warehouse. He called it growing pains and said, quote, the only way we're going to get Amazon to come to the table is by taking shots and taking risks. And that happens by workers being ready to organize in their respective facilities. For us, whatever campaign is ready to go, the ALU is going to throw their support behind it no matter what. We know it's going to take collective action for Amazon to come to the table. So for us, it's never unsuccessful. These are growing pains and we're gonna fight and continue to grow. And I think that we've seen that. I mean, uh, yeah. Austin said streamers should have a union too. 
I yeah, um, that would be nice. There, there would be a lot of issues with that. But at the end of the day, though, I think that would be the um, the best way to handle it. But that's a discussion, I think, for that, that would probably be better for like me doing something solo or something other than this with a dedicated purpose. Um, um, go ahead. But the point is, I think that we have watched the ALU grow. I mean, yeah. it, this all stemmed from a walkout during COVID in one facility. And the fact that they've even had elections and campaigns at other warehouses with the amount of money that Amazon has put into crushing that little group of people. Yeah. Um, you know, they are still growing against all odds. Yeah. And, and the I one mean, I think that they have the right group of people running it. I think that they're going to succeed. Yeah. And so um, the one thing that I'm going to mention real quick is, and this is me kind of thinking a couple steps down the road, not catastrophizing but being realistic, right? Because we've seen this happen in the past. Obviously violence, there is a lot. It's, it's not viewed as, you know, like, because there's phones everywhere. There's videos that can be everywhere, right? But it really wouldn't surprise me if we really start seeing some anti-union violence being pushed by these companies here sooner rather than later. And that's one thing we think we really need to be ready for and ready to basically raise hell over once it does start happening. I'm not saying that's going to be another Pinkerton situation um, because I don't think the companies are that stupid anymore because once Pinkerton situation happened, like it, it still took a lot of time, but it was pretty much over for um, uh, for Carnegie Steel's anti-unionization efforts. Just, and like the fact that we still remember that 120 years later or so says a lot. But... I think we really do need to be prepared for the um, uh, um, for the inevitability that violence does happen and basically be ready for that. And when I say be ready for that, I mean like anytime that you're at a union, pro-union rally, be ready for that shit to go down. Like, you know, have, med have a medicate with you because you never know when a shot is gonna be fired. You never know when um, um, a pro-corporate um, individual is gonna go off. So I was like, you have to be ready for that kind of shit and be trained in medics or in medical care and all that other fun stuff. God, I feel like that my like inner revolutionary is coming out right now. Good. <laughs> 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 no, so I mean, for the rail, uh, the railroad work. Why is that such a hard railway? Actually, not railroad. Railways are hard. Is united. Um, updates i mean I, I don't usually go like deep into these i'm basically gonna give you um the headlines because i mean you know we don't have time to go through like these six articles every week um but they do quote um eugene debs in the editor's notes so i do gotta shout that out uh how many more years can the american uh, American economy, the American people, and the U.S. government tolerate the gigantic swindle that is right under the nose. As Eugene Debs once quipped, quote, I would rather have a rail industry owned by the government than a government owned by the rail industry. Yeah, and um, as much as I'm on 2012 me as a screaming at myself, um, I have to agree with that because at the end of the day, it's like it at least a nationalized rail industry would be answerable to the people. Right. Um, so there are critics of the U.S. train industry or critics are saying the U.S. train industry is in crisis. And my first thought is like, you don't fucking say. 
Like Biden literally just forced these people back to work. Nobody's happy about it. I'm surprised yeah, like there haven't been wildcat strikes. Yeah, like he literally pulled a rake. Which yeah. yeah, talk which for the record, like talk about a president who um uh, was once like revered basically among like all mainstream circles being absolutely shit on now by a lot more not everyone obviously but still like reagan is not as popular as he once was and biden is definitely like that was total political screw up on his part was that before or after the election after after yeah so it's like it wasn't even for a fucking yeah um yeah what a terrible so uh basically the rwu um the, the editor's note for this next headline says, expect to hear more about internal union battles for leadership and change of direction. In other words, somebody that represents the people because the union isn't upholding its end of the bargain. Um, the movement for public ownership of the railroads and the broadening of a generalized revolt against PSR. Um, so they're talking about rail service issues. We should expect more in 2023 because these people are fed the fuck up good fucking good because at the end of the day this country still runs on rail yeah and plus yeah. the other thing too is and once again i hate using a slippery slope argument but sometimes if the shoe fits um just no not the horseshoe just the shoe but um uh <laughs> sorry i couldn't resist um but at the end of the day too um you have the railroad industry getting fed up so you're gonna have wildcat strikes etc cetera, etc cetera. And then who's going to pick up that slack? Truckers. Well, are the truckers going to be happy about keeping the exact same pay for a hell of a lot more work? And a hell of a lot harder work? Well, and sure they're, hell they're already like... They're already the fed up. The industry is already fucked. Yeah, because like. I, re- I remember... Um, I, let's see, yeah, it would have been about a year ago. Um, I was listening to him on... Um, Lawrence O'Donnell's podcast because I remember I was walking out my dog um, and like the new Biden Secretary of Labor or someone like that was talking about of how like they're going to try to get more benefits for truckers and all and all this stuff right I don't think any of it ever materialized except for the um, uh, um, the issue of basically allowing newer drivers to be able to be on the road but basically it's like yeah I mean truckers they've there's been these rumbling issues now for well over a year and it's just going to get worse if they have to pick up the rail slack. Yeah. Plus, the cost of shipping with semi as opposed to shipping rail. Holy fuck. Well, yeah, that's what. That's why a lot of uh, bigger freight companies do like the dual modal, you know, ship it to a regional hub on a train and then literally take the fucking semi trailer off of the train and hook it to a yeah. truck and take it to wherever it's going. Yeah. Um. So this one's also pretty interesting. Federal Railroad Administration promotes an Amtrak daily long distance service study, which I think is going to show a lot of issues in Amtrak service, um, which, you know, maybe could potentially lead to improvement of the commuter trail system, but I doubt it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I think I kind of touched <laughs> on this during the during the late night um, uh, last week. Um. You know, I love the idea of trains. I mean, I drive back to St. Louis because I hate flying that much. Well, I hate flying commercial, just to be clear. If I could be a pilot, I would love that. But, you know, like for me personally, I mean, I'm just being honest, but like, I'm kind of curious. So let's see. So um, 
like for me to be able to take the trade, which I would love to do for the record, just to be abundantly clear, right? Um, and be able to like to take like a week long trip, a week long track back home, you know, sounds pretty right or sounds pretty fair. Um, the days I selected were the second, the return day wasn't even available. And for me to get a coach, that would be a basically two, a 45 hour direct train ride would be $230. And, um, and a room where I could actually, I can like relax and sleep for a little bit would be $840. And it's, and that's just like, that's just a one way, right? And it, I just, all right. And the return trip would be $121, but it'd still be a 40, almost a 49 hour train ride. So it was like, why the fuck can we get decent train service in this fucking country? Yeah. Like I, it's always been one of those things where like, I've never been able to understand why our trains are so terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for real. Yeah, because the fact that it's actually faster for me to be able to drive, even with sleeping a full night than taking a train, is pretty bad. Well, yeah, I was actually just like looking. Okay, so how far is it from New York to LA? Um, what? depends. On, are we doing a cannibal run? Well, I mean, I'm talking like on trains. So like, I have <laughs> I have I have Google Maps open, and it's taking public trip. Well, like public transit would include. Amtrak, but yeah. So basically, we're taking trains from New York to LA, and it takes three days, sixteen hours. Like, that's ridiculous. That's what, mm -hmm. like, three thousand miles, roughly. Yeah, and what's the price for that? Um, I I don't know. I didn't have it pull up. Uh, you know, okay, ticketing gotcha. information. But I'm sure it's a lot. Um, but just uh. Well, that's obviously not the same distance, but uh, let's see, what would be, I don't know, like Paris to like Berlin, you think? That, um, it's not quite as long, but still though, it's, um, let's see. When I'm in this view, it won't show me, but the point is taking a train there, that's nine hours. Well, actually, that's the longest train. The shortest train is eight hours, nine minutes. And the longest is just over nine hours, but it's a longer route. But how far is that? I feel like that's still- um, it's, it's, it's like 2,400 miles or something, 2,800 miles. Oh, really? So it's really not that different. The point is nine hours compared oh, oh, to... Oh, 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 fuck. I'm sorry. I was thinking about I'm uh, from New York to LA. I'm a podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. How <laughs> far... Well, let me let me take this off of transit options and then it'll actually show me a distance. You said from Paris to Berlin, right? Yeah, that's 1,048 kilometers. Point is, though, it's quicker to fucking take a train than to drive. And yeah. then if we're like looking at areas that have high speed rail in Europe, you know, you're talking at the blink of an eye, basically. Uh, I mean, in comparison to an 11 hour car ride. Um, but like, yeah, look at look at China's high speed rail system. Right. Like, yeah, they put a lot of resources into developing that, but like. Don't you think it's, it's worth it to not have 
such a hard like i mean we're basically enslaved to our cars right like yeah which i mean it's like don't get me wrong i mean like that's very much a, a kink that i'm into but um <laughs> i know not everyone is so, i mean i like know. driving don't get me wrong but yeah. like i probably wouldn't have a car if i had the option to get on a safe reliable train and yeah and it's one of those things where for me it's like i love you know like the, the grand touring drives that i take right i hate that i have to drive to school every single fucking day because there's no decent public transit option for me from my house down to school and that would save me honestly probably a lot of money because i would be willing to bet that a train ticket or metro ticket would be um uh, you know like less than 12 bucks a day that it cost me for parking not including gas plus miles on my car right and i was like would i rather be able to drive from here to mcdonald's so i can go get some food and then come and then drive back absolutely but i would just like to have the option and for and just to be clear like i live about a quarter of a mile away from uh from train tracks so it's not like you know it's like there is some rail infrastructure there and most of the time it's not being used right right well i mean you know there's a lot of freight that happens by rail. We were just discussing that, but oh, yeah. passenger service in this country is—it's well because it's so low. It's just because it's low, so low priority, right? Like it's and because the fucking and I think you may have mentioned this, and I was just like, uh, "Holy crap, my brain is dead." Um, I was just zoned out. Um, but the fact that the freight own or freight companies own the rails, like. Yeah, which should have never been allowed to happen. Yeah, to be clear. I mean, hell, I just remember watching the History Channel show, The Men Who Built America, and they were literally talking about how Carnegie shut down the bridge to New York, cutting off all trains because over a pricing dispute. And so he could buy out the other rail or the other rail line. Wow. Like that should never be allowed to happen. No. And yes, that included freight and passenger rail wow yeah so basically just like cut off new york city i'm sorry not carnegie um uh um vanderbilt ah yeah that sounds more like a vanderbilt action yeah Yeah, because carnegie just had henry frick do all of his dirty work (laughs) mother fricker the next thing this should be fun right Oh, let's go. So I want to address my little subtitle here. I I feel like I shouldn't have said if they'd tried. It's more like if they'd wanted to. Yeah. Um, Um, McCarthy and the, the GOP people that are backing him are showing that the squad could have gotten a lot of shit out of the Democrats if they'd wanted to. Yeah. I just wanted now to point the, that out to point out that they're not our friends. Yeah, and the other thing, and that goes without even mentioning, someone mentioned in the comments earlier of how they just completely caved Emma with Biden's uh, rail thing. Um, but the one other point I want to make as well with um, the squad is that, or with the Democrats, and, and this is kind of defending the squad a little bit, but not very effectively, because you really can't effectively defend them, is that basically... The Democrats are a much more cohesive unit than the Republicans are, at least in the Trump era, right? Yeah. 
because at the end of the day, the Democrats fucked up their campaigns at every point possible. I mean, hell, look at the Arizona governor race. Katie Hobbs refused to participate in, in a debate. That almost cost her the election. She was able to squeak it out, but still. Basically, Democrats are terrible at campaigning and are terrible at messaging, but they're still unified. I mean, because I don't think there was a single defector, at least for the first 10 or so votes, um, for the speaker for speakership, right? And so I do understand why the squad weren't they were not able to do what the Freedom Caucus wanted to do with the Republicans. At the same time, though, as well, they still could have at least tried to have played spoiler or if he's go along with votes in order to get concessions. They were honestly the most ineffective um, political, I guess, like quote unquote, up or splinter group, I guess is the best word to use that I can think of, um, at least aside from following politics. Um, Austin said in the comments, they funded the extreme right during the midterms. Of course they did. They did it thinking it would make it easier for them to hold their seats, um, against, you know, other Democrats. Yeah. Um, and that's, at the end of- that's just an example of liberals compromising with basically fascists. Um, you can drop the basically. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But I, I didn't want to imply that one was and one wasn't. They're both fascist. <laughs> uh, that's fair. I'll, I'll the, the, the Republicans are just blatant about it. The Democrats yeah, then, pretend not to be. Yeah. And then like you have the situations where the extreme right person that you fund actually ends up winning the election. <coughs> George Santos. <laughs> Which, by the way, have you seen his um, uh, his official um, uh, congressional uh, photograph? No. Do I like, want I'm, to? Um, let me phrase it this way. I have, like, basically, I looked at it and like, yeah, like, that dude looks like a con artist. Excellent. Yeah. Like, I, I just, like, looked at it and I'm just like, dude, like, yeah. Um, God, I can't believe that he won. Yeah. Um, so any member of the House can call for a motion to vacate the Speaker's chair. That should be fun. We'll see how that plays out. I mean, it's may um, end up being the most do-nothing Congress we've ever seen. Yeah, probably. A McCarthy-aligned super PAC agreed to not play in open Republican primaries and safe seats. The House will hold votes on key conservative bills, including a balanced budget amendment. We'll see... <laughs> We'll see what that means. We're, we know that they're just going to gut public programs with it, really. Wait, really? I'm shocked. <laughs> right. Um, congressional term limits. I mean, that could be something that... That could be fun. I'd be too. on board with that. I would yeah. be on board with term limits, but we we also know that like none of this shit is ever going through, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not going to get through the Senate. Yeah. Let alone Which... pass Biden's desk. Yeah, it's pretty frustrating to say the least. Because our government doesn't give a fuck about us. Yay! Right. Um, also, um, I'm actually gonna run real quick. I'll be. I'll see if I have time before nine o'clock. But basically, I do have to work tonight. Um, and I'm I gonna go you. grab a coffee real quick before. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and stand here, but I'm uh, just so I don't have to like rejoin the chat when I come back. Okay. All right. That's fine. See you in a few minutes, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Also, everyone, in case if I, I'm not back in time, um, have a good one. Be safe and uh, 
keeping assholes out there but like the good kind of asshole like the pro people asshole not like the bad assholes thanks for the distinction no problem see ya yeah so uh this this is another one that should be really fucking fun right move 12 appropriation bills individually instead of passing separate bills to fund government operations congress frequently passes a massive year-end spending package known as an omnibus that rolls everything into one bill so we'll see if they can put forward a budget 12 times this year i don't see it happening um, but we all know that the government's not actually going to shut down at this point, right? <laughs> anyway, um, Freedom Caucus representation on committees, uh, including the House Rules Committee, that is concerning to me. But the entire system, top to bottom, is resistant to any sort of meaningful change anyway. Um, have a good night, Austin. Uh, but the point is, at the end of the, this whole thing, um, the squad could have gotten concessions. The squad could have potentially gotten Nancy Pelosi out of the speakership position, but they didn't have the balls to try. Um, I had kind of planned on just like riffing and making fun of uh, McCarthy, but I don't know that I have the energy for that. It's uh, going on 11 already. But that being said, I do have um, uh, an update, like a climate change update. Um, there's an atmospheric river over um, the West Coast, above average temps on the East Coast, and, uh, you know, a bunch of storms in the Southeast and all sorts of climate things going on right now. Um, well said, Corbin. Yes, exactly. The squad got exactly what they wanted. Controlled opposition. Um, so I wanted to start by talking about California. There was, uh, there was a point earlier this week where 90% of Californians we're under flood watches as another storm threatened mudslides, power outages, and deadly inundation. That's been updated. Now, thousands of Californians, Californians are under evacuation orders as flood threats continue, and the death toll of recent storms climbs to 17. Um, I have too many tabs open here, I'm sorry. Um, this is a CNN video, so we, you know, might have to talk about the narrative a little bit in a minute, but I would tend to think they're usually decent with like natural disasters and stuff. So we'll see. Right, right now, 90% of the population of California under flood watch and America's second largest city is slammed by a relentless storm, flash flooding, mudslides, wind damage all across central and Southern California. This is video just in from Santa Clarita. Firefighters pulling a person out of that car as water rushes around them. There are scenes like these all over the Los Angeles area. Roads now closed, firefighters rescuing people caught in these flash floods. Santa Barbara County alone responding to some 200 calls like this. 
In some cases, it's better to leave the car home, all water and no pavement in the worst hit areas. Mudslides also blocking roads. Nearly 60,000 customers are without power. And right now, the entire community of Montecito is under evacuation. TV host Ellen DeGeneres shared this video of an overflowing creek near her home there. And then uh, well, these storms, storms are still in incredibly dangerous. Well. We had several hours of these storms producing tornadoes, and they're still doing that. This tornado watch you can see that's shaded in red goes for the next uh, hour or two across the southeast. You can see right around Charlotte. We did have a tornado warning just on the north side of Charlotte a few moments ago that is expired. And now we have another one just to the west of Columbia. So anyone basically in the southeast on the eastern side of these storms, uh, if you see one of these tornadoes, warnings in your area. You've got to get to your safe place. These storms are moving incredibly fast at about 55 miles per hour, so uh, you'll have very little warning. So consider this your warning that there are some very dangerous storms across the southeast. You can see these severe thunderstorm warnings. You can see all the way across southern portions of Alabama and Georgia. Here's your severe weather risk. The area shaded in orange. That's going to be your highest risk for tornadoes, damaging winds, large hail, but we really could see showers and storms anywhere in these areas and the, they even extend all the way up to the mid Atlantic and the northeast. So the rain is going to be far reaching as we go into the overnight hours. The storms should weaken and then we'll start to see this clear out tomorrow. Some very cold air on the back side of this wolf. You can see some snow flurries there, uh, but we're also going to see rain accumulations of anywhere from one to two inches. Of course, inside those individual thunderstorms, you can get some higher rates, but definitely a nasty day across the southeast wolf and the storms are still ongoing. Um, well, we have stunning is, new video that shows just how severe video, the flooding in California has been. This right here is Tustin, southeast California. of Los Angeles. Firefighters had to use a boat to rescue five people trapped in their cars late last night. No one was injured, fortunately. Four adults were in one car, while a fifth was on top and awaiting rescue. Thankfully, everyone is doing okay and there were no injuries. Just last hour in California, the Sacramento County right, Office I'm of Emergency Services stop, issued stop. an Um, so I, I did want to discuss atmospheric rivers because, you know, like the, all this flooding in California, which by the way, isn't expected to make the situation regarding the flooding or not the flooding the droughts out there any better. Uh, not unless, uh, weather like this continues for months. Um, Corbin, here in southern New England, we we had three inches of snow once, and the ground hasn't even really stayed frozen at all. Um, yeah, I believe it's green in LA. It's been it's been raining a lot um, out out in all over Cali, and that that can't be understated, right? Like California is a huge place. It's been raining all over that motherfucker, so. I wanted to talk about atmospheric rivers. This uh, information is coming from the 
from NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, <clears throat> atmospheric rivers are relatively long, narrow regions in the atmosphere, like rivers in the sky, that transport most of the water vapor outside of the tropics. These columns of water vapor, uh, of vapor move with the weather, carrying an amount of water vapor roughly equivalent to the average flow of water at the mouth of the Mississippi River, hence atmospheric rivers. When atmospheric rivers make landfall, they often release this water vapor in the form of rain or snow. Although atmospheric rivers come in many shapes and sizes, those that contain the largest amounts of water and the strongest winds can create extreme rainfall and floods, often by stalling over watersheds vulnerable to flooding, like we're seeing in California. Uh, these events can disrupt travel, induce mudslides, and cause catastrophic damage to life and property. A well-known example is the Pineapple Express, a strong atmospheric river that is capable of bringing moisture from the tropics near Hawaii over the U.S. West Coast. Um, sorry, I got distracted there. Um, and this, this uh, graphic here is pretty spot on I think in explaining it I'm trying to uh, bring that up why that portion why is this so like can I adjust this yes that's bizarre oh no there we go there we go. I did it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, an atmospheric river is a flowing column of condensed water vapor. I need to refresh that. I'm watching the comments on uh, Facebook and the video is way behind. Why there no? Why is this showing different? That's okay. I'll come back to that. It doesn't really matter. Um, in the atmosphere responsible for producing significant levels of rain and snow, especially in the western U.S., when atmospheric rivers move inland and sweep over the mountains, the water vapor rises and cools to create heavy precipitation. So basically, what's happening? is the atmospheric river is going over the mountains in California and, uh, you know, causing the water vapor to cool, obviously. And then it falls as ridiculous amounts of rain on the ocean side of the mountain ranges, which are all fairly perceptible, susceptible, I'm sorry, to uh, flooding as it is. Um, so that is what that's what's behind this whole thing. Um, a strong atmospheric river transports the amount of water vapor roughly equivalent to seven and a half to 15 times the average flow of water at the mouth of the Mississippi. That is a lot of fucking water. 
Um, so this link I'm going to send in the comments. Um, I, I encourage you all to kind of play with this interactive map. I'm going to show you a couple of, uh, like I'm going to show you the two I was planning on was sea surface temperature and um, the surface temperature anomaly. Um, so the, the surface temper, temperature anomaly is um, basically above average temperatures, uh, above or below departure from the average. Damn it. There we go. Okay. Let me set up the screen share. This is also a NOAA tool. Um, so this starts in 1880. Why isn't it? 1883, 84. So you see everything pretty much is much cooler than average um, because the average is based uh, 2000 to 2020, I think. Um, so, you know, now we're at the turn of the century. Sorry, I'm just trying to like speed this up some. It's really right about the 30s, if I remember correctly, that things start averaging out. You know, these kind of pale colors are all average. Um, 1931, 33, 34. And, and see, we're already seeing like deviations from the norm in some like more northern areas. Um, so let's kick this up a notch to like the 70s. Seventy-one. See, I mean, you know, you're starting to see less blue less often, right? And then if we skip ahead here to like 1990, like from here on up, it's just like everything's getting red. But like once we get into the 2000s, it's absolutely crazy. Um, 1997, 1998, 99, 2000. Look at that. Pretty much, I don't think you see any, any blue outside of like a little blob like that ever again. Everything is above the 20 year average, um, which is only from 20 years ago, like from a span ending 20 years ago. But that's one that I wanted to show. And then, is it still? Yes, it is. Okay, cool. So this is sea surface temperature. Um, we'll do yearly this time so it's quicker. Uh, starting in 1982, 
85. 90. Now these darker areas of red are 32 degrees above. Above, uh, sorry, 32 degrees Celsius. Now down at the poles, obviously, we're still close to like negative two. Um, but you'll start to see this area shrink here. Um, but like, obviously the tropics should be, you know, 20 to 30 degrees Celsius, according to this. But, you know, as time goes on, um, you know, the cold waters kind of recede back and everything's getting more and more hot. You know, the tropics are getting darker too. Yeah. Anyway, that one's not as fun, but, uh, there's a whole bunch of interactive maps on here. Ozone, rain, fire. Oh, active fires, actually. Let's see if we can. Let's have some fun with this real quick. This is since 2002. Lots in Africa. I didn't expect this to be this slow, though. Uh, now we're into 2003. Oh, that's why it's doing weekly. Okay, okay. 2003, 2004, 2005. You get the point, I'm not saying every year. 2012. 22. Each year gets worse and worse. You know, these uh, these fires aren't going away. Hey, what's up, Rob? Nice, uh, nice to see you. Um, Yeah, anyway, I'm going to stop screen sharing this and go back to see what I have left to discuss. I don't think there, I think that's it, actually. Um, but I do have a relevant video that I've plugged before. Um, but I'm going to play a remix of it. <laughs> you ready for this? I don't know if you're ready for this, but it's funny as fuck. Um, I've got an experiment. Let me uh, stop the background music real quick. There we go. Okay. Okay. I've got an experiment for you. Safety glasses on. By the end of this century, if emissions keep rising, the average temperature on Earth could go up another four to eight degrees. 
What I'm saying is the planet's on fucking fire. Fucking fire. This is an actual crisis. Fire, floods, crop failures. The planet's on fucking fucking fire. Motherfuckers. Fire, 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 in the form of things like fire, safety glasses off, motherfuckers. Go the fuck up. You get the point. That is a remix for the fucking ages. What? That is a remix for the fucking ages. And that was like the perfect time for because like I come inside um uh um from getting my coffee and all of a sudden it's like I'm sorry my fucking cold burps I'm fucking bougie and then I'm like what the fuck is going on in there and then all of a sudden I walk in and I'm like this is the perfect time for me to come back I swear <laughs> well um Corbin said uh the, the world is quite literally on fire and I thought Bill and I said it best he, he really did um and so yeah I guess that's the perfect time for me to actually say my proper goodbye for the mic because I have to go try to make money fair enough and yeah I mean uh we're uh out of topics and well i guess out of time is probably more accurate we're going on three hours <laughs> well we were late i guess so it's not really three hours but close enough but anyways yeah i'm uh thanks for uh, having me on rob and I, I see i told you i'd be less than 11 months late it's true yeah it's true you held up to that <laughs> yeah for once and yeah on that note i'm gonna bounce out of here and i will probably see you tomorrow night toodles oh yeah oh man okay so uh is this right yes actually i don't think i did that right there we go um so our discord is public it's live um we have some pretty good uh conversation uh in there sometimes and um i'd like to see more of that so i uh, posted the link once again in the comments um yeah we are all over social media um of course i've plugged it a few times through various articles tonight but we have a website for wearemoney.org um make sure to come back tomorrow night 
um, 11 p.m. for 11 p.m. ish, I'll say for the for the late show, um, and then come back Sunday night at seven for um, the United Panther Movement's Sanchikor basic political uh, political education class. Um, we have started putting the Zoom link in the descriptions for those. So if you want to actually like join the class, like and be able to engage in person with us, um, you know, that's a, a great way to do it. Um, it's a lot more engaging that way. Um, I already plugged Patreon, whatever. You can, as you see on your screen, you can find us all over social media. To be honest, the best places to find us are um, Facebook, um, YouTube, and for wearemany.org. Well, and the Discord as well. Um, but a lot of these, uh, we don't, I mean, Twitter, like we stream live to it. We get on it once in a while. Instagram, we get on once in a while. Um, TikTok, we don't really use at all. If you would be interested in helping us run any of these social media pages, by all means, contact us. Um, you know, message the page on Facebook or send us an email at forwearemanypodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that's uh, all I got. Thank you for um, joining me tonight. And um, make sure to come back tomorrow and uh, Sunday. And then we'll let you know. When we'll be live after that. Have a good night and thank you for joining us.